Hey, this is Rodney Gage. I'm the pastor of Rethink Life Church in Orlando, Florida, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for checking it out today. I hope it encourages and inspires you to live with a new perspective, make better choices, and have a greater impact with your life. Here's today's message. Well, good morning, Rethink Life. You guys doing good today? Come on, let's give God a hand clap of praise in this place today. Hey, I'm excited that you're here and uh, just excited about um, really the, the message God's put in my heart as we're wrapping up this new series. But before I even go there, I just want to say um, Friday night, um, this past Friday, we had an incredible time with our marriage event that took place on Friday night. And even though it was cold and windy, we had a good time because it was warm on the inside. And uh, it was a great opportunity for couples to connect and to be encouraged and enriched. And so uh, if you missed it, let me encourage you to be on the lookout for the next one that we'll be having. Because uh, I believe it's one of the most important nights we have through the entire calendar year. So always an opportunity to grow and be inspired and encouraged in our marriage relationships. Well today, speaking of relationships, we are wrapping up a four-part series that we've been a part of now for uh, the last several weeks called Relationship Restart. And uh, really, at the beginning of the month of February, uh, one of the things we just decided to do is really to kind of revisit, if you will, um, really what the Scriptures say and specifically what we can do when it comes to really pursuing our relationships with a new mindset, kind of a new way of thinking. Because when we develop a new mindset or new way of thinking when it comes to our relationships, it allows us to be able to make some adjustments. In other words, rather than repeating some old patterns or habits that are toxic and destructive, instead we can change our approach and we can introduce new habits. We can do things that are life-giving. We can approach our relationships in a better and more improved way. And one of the things that we've been doing is we've really been looking specifically at one passage of Scripture. And it's in the book of Philippians. And if you have your app, uh, you can open it up and you can follow along with me today. But in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul uh, was writing a letter to a group of people living in Philippi. And this place called Philippi was basically a city in Greece. And Paul had helped, helped uh, plant and establish this church. And so, uh, unfortunately, he was in a prison cell. And here he is in a prison cell. And, and you would think this guy would have had a, a horrible attitude and you would have thought, you know, as far as he was concerned, your know, life was over. There was nothing else to look forward to. But yet Paul's mindset and Paul's attitude was hope. Paul knew that God was going to eventually get him out. He knew that his hope was in the Lord. And he just had this positive, optimistic mindset. And there was this overflowing joy when it came to his relationship with the Lord and his relationship with other people. Specifically for those living in Philippi. So he's writing this letter to his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's basically expressing his love, his appreciation, his gratitude for them. But what's interesting is that in the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 1, Paul is focusing, he's locking in on relationships. And the reason why is because he knew that if you don't get your relationships right, nothing in life will go right. It doesn't matter how successful you are. Doesn't matter, really, honestly, it doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank. It really does not matter what you own or possess. At the end of the day, if your relationships are miserable, your life is miserable. 
And so Paul was emphasizing that if we want to have joy, if we want to live with this sense of peace and happiness that comes from our relationship with Christ, then we got to get our relationships right. And so with that in mind, he picks up in in, uh, the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. Again, this is a letter that he's writing, and he starts out his, his letter with these words. He said, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. So what was he doing? He was helping them to understand that, hey, the best way to pursue and approach really your relationships with other people is really just to begin with an attitude of gratitude. Michelle talked about that during week one. And then Paul goes on to say, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. So one of the things that we did during week two is we talked about restarting our relationships with the power of positive prayers. And we talked specifically about four ways that we can pray for the people that matter most in our lives. And then last week, we talked about this, where Paul said that I am confident that God, who began the good work within you, will continue to work until it is finally finished, until the day of Christ Jesus returns. And so, in essence, what we learned last week is not only should we have an attitude of gratitude and a positive prayer life as far as praying for other people, but hey, we ought to expect the best in the lives of those that we're in relationship with. Well, today, Paul wraps it up, and we're going to camp out with this verse in Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, and here's what he says. He said, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge, in other words, your knowledge of who Christ is, and in understanding. In other words, that you'll have the moral discernment to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. So in essence, what he's saying is that, hey, at the end of the day, we have got to learn how to love like Jesus. Now turn to your neighbor, look at him, say, you need to love like Jesus loves. And that's not just something that we say facetiously. That is something that comes truly from the heart of God. That comes truly from the heart of the Apostle Paul who's pitting these words because he knew at the end of the day, everything, listen, would rise and fall on this truth. And that is if we're going to be successful, I don't care if we're just getting started in a relationship, if we've been in a relationship for a long period of time, you've been married for a long period of time, regardless of where you are, Listen, the most important thing we could ever do in the context of those relationships is to learn how to love like Jesus loves. And so today, I've, I've come to the conclusion that the best example, okay, when it comes to learning how to love is to follow the greatest lover of all time. That was Jesus himself. And so when you think about the best way to learn anything, the best way to learn is by watching other people. The best way to learn is by following someone's example. And I don't think anybody demonstrated a more effective way of living and and really giving us a greater example, a picture of what true love is all about than obviously Jesus Christ. And so in in, in John chapter 13, verse 15, there's something that's interesting that, that takes place. In fact, uh, Michelle and I had the opportunity uh, this past November uh, to take a trip to Israel. We had the opportunity to go to uh, what is traditionally known as the upper room. 
It was that place where Jesus met with his disciples uh, before he was to go to the cross and to be crucified. And he had that last supper. And uh, before those disciples um, literally came into the room, uh, one of the things that Jesus did is he literally greeted them. And that night, uh, one by one, Jesus took a basin of water and he took a, a cloth and he literally washed the feet of his disciples. What's interesting is that one of the things that Jesus did is he set an example for them. In John 13, 15, he said, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What was he doing? He was painting a picture by example of what true servanthood is all about. He wanted to illustrate, he wanted to exemplify the importance of laying down our lives, of, of having an attitude of a servant when it comes to the impact on the lives of other people, and specifically as it relates to our relationships. And in John 13, 34, Jesus said these words, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other in the same way that I have loved you. You know, I've come to realize I've come to realize in my own personal life that it is absolutely impossible for us to fully understand how to love someone else until we fully understand how much God loves us. Because, listen, there is no way in the world absolutely impossible for me to give something that I have never personally experienced myself. Does that make sense? I mean, there's no way in the world, no way in the world that I can adequately and sufficiently love my wife, Michelle, if I am not secure in my love when it comes to seeing how God truly loves me. Because knowing and understanding just how much God loves me and me being secure in that love allows me to be able to give that same kind of secure and security and that same kind of love that overflows out of my love relationship with Christ into my love relationship with my wife. And so it's important that we understand that in this final message, Paul wants us to understand that if we're going to be effective when it comes to our relationships, hey, we got to learn how to love like Jesus loves. So there are two things that we're going to do today. The first is this. We're going to learn just how much God loves you and me. And the second thing we're going to do is we're going to learn how to take that same love that we experience from God and we're going to learn how to pass it on to other people. So if you have some, something to jot down, you can take your notes there that we provided for you and your welcome card when you came in. I would encourage you to jot these things down. Number one, if you're taking notes, is this. We must learn how to accept others like Jesus accepts us. You know, I've come to realize that, uh, you know, as a, as, as a believer in Christ, I think one of the most important things that we can do, as a matter of fact, I believe the church of all places as Christians, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the way, we are the church, we ought to be the most accepting people in all of humanity. And yet at the same time, for a lot of us, we have a difficult time of accepting other people. You know why? Because for a lot of us, we've never come to the understanding of just how much God truly accepts us. So here's what happens. What happens is, is a lot of times, and I say this every week, if you've been here at Rethink Life for any period of time, I often will say, hey, we need to accept Jesus into our lives. 
We need to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's, that's, that's the single most important thing we could ever do. To accept Jesus into our lives. But let's flip the script. Let me ask you this. You can be a Christian for years. But the bigger question is, do you understand what it means for you to be accepted by Jesus Christ? Because again, you can have a relationship with Jesus by accepting him into your life. And you can be a follower of Jesus Christ for a long, long time with never really coming to peace and understanding of just how much you have been accepted in the eyes of God. I think that's so vitally important. You know what the deepest wound is in life? The deepest wound that any of us will ever encounter in this life is the wound of rejection. Let me tell you something. There's nothing that hurts more. There's nothing that cuts deeper than literally the pain of rejection. Some of you maybe can remember as a child that was something that you encountered. That was the first form of pain that you endured as a child growing up was the pain of rejection. Maybe a mother or a father or someone near and dear to you walked out on you. You took that as personal rejection. You took that as they didn't love you, that they didn't accept you. They didn't pick you. They betrayed you. They walked out on you. And so here's the problem. The problem is, is that most of us will spend the rest of our lives doing one of two things. And that is to avoid rejection and to find acceptance in the eyes of other people. There's a huge balancing act of the tension between those two driving forces. And that is trying to avoid the pain of being hurt and rejected and betrayed by people that we have placed our trust in and that tension, that, that, that sense of motivation that also comes with wanting to please and to satisfy and to find acceptance in the eyes of other people. So therefore, we've bought into this myth, and the myth is that I must be perfect in order for people to like me and accept me. Can I just give you a little reminder today? Spoiler alert. There's no one perfect. Can I get an amen? There's not a single perfect person in this room or on this planet. At the end of the day, if you spend all of your time and all of your energy trying to be perfect, trying to hide your mistakes trying to hide from your imperfections, trying to hide from your weaknesses so that you can avoid being rejected, so that you can be accepted in the eyes of other people, you're going to be miserable. As a matter of fact, even if you thought you were perfect, can I just remind you that the only perfect person who ever lived on the face of this earth was Jesus Christ. He knew no sin. He was perfect. And yet, even though he was perfect, let me just give you a little spoiler alert here. Hey, just so you know, he was despised and rejected by men and nailed to a cross. So no matter what you do, you'll never be good enough. Listen, you'll never get everybody to like you. You will spend most of your life trying to balance the tension of avoiding rejection and trying to find favor and acceptance in the eyes of other people. Well, I just want to encourage you with something this morning. In Titus chapter 3, verse 7, 
Jesus treated us much better than we deserve, the Bible says. In fact, he made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. I love that. I love the fact that God loved me so much that he gave his one and only son to die for me. And Jesus loved me in order to allow me to be accepted by God in spite of my imperfections. You know, I believe one of the things that holds a lot of people back is the fact that they've never closed the doors of their yesterday. So therefore, they've accepted Jesus into their life. But as I stated a few moments ago, they've never come to the understanding and the peace of what it really means to be accepted by God. So therefore, the way they see themselves is still somewhat tainted and distorted based on their past rather than the truth of what God says about them. That's why we're doing something called freedom groups. My wife Michelle and I, we meet every Monday night for a freedom small group with, a, with some couples. And what we're doing is we're talking about how to, how to replace the lies with truth so that we can truly see ourselves the way God sees us, so that we can accept ourselves the way God accepts us. We're doing a freedom event. I'm super excited about it. On April the 3rd, we've never done this before, and it's always been in my heart to do it. And we're going to do our first one on April the 3rd. We're having a night where we're just going to have the opportunity for people to truly come to peace with God, to say goodbye to the yesterdays, and to accept the fact that God loves us, and he accepts us, he approves of us. Amen? It's going to be a powerful, powerful night where we just bring all of those fears, all those inadequacies. Listen, all of those things from the past, we're going to just put it all at the foot of the cross. And we're going to nail the door shut once and for all to our yesterdays that we, so we can truly embrace what it is that God says about us. It's going to be a powerful, powerful night. In Romans 15 verse 7 it says it this way. So accept each other. Just as Christ has accepted you, then God will be glorified. So we need to understand something today. God loves us. He accepts us. And we also need to remind ourselves that we are surrounded by imperfect people. So if you're married, spoiler alert, you're married to an imperfect spouse. Can I get an amen? Hey, if, if you are a parent, guess what? You have imperfect kids. Hey, if you are a, listen, at the end of the day, we have imperfect parents. There's no such thing as a perfect parent. If you have friendships, relationships, coworkers, people that you know, can I just give you a little quick reminder? You don't have any perfect friends either. So therefore... The only way that we can accept others the way God wants us to accept others is to come to the understanding of how much we are accepted by God. He has chosen us. He has accepted us. Therefore, we ought to be willing to accept other people who are imperfect in our lives because God accepted us even in our sin and in our imperfections. How many of you remember when you were a kid out on the playground? Whether it's kickball or volleyball or whatever the sport or recreation was, the activity was, they would always have, you know, two teams and they always pick a team captain and they would make everybody else go stand up against the wall. 
And then you remember they would pick team members. And so, you know, A team and B team over here. And so, and, and, and you were kind of like, oh man, I hope somebody picks me. hope somebody picks me. And it was like the worst thing in the world to be the last one picked. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm sure there's a few of you in here. That was your story. That's your testimony. You were the last one. Michelle, she'll, she'll tell you all day long. Maybe she's like, she has zero athletic ability. She was always the last one picked. Well, can I just simply remind you today that, hey, that God has picked you. God has chosen you to be a part of his spiritual family. Why? Because he loves you. He created you. He accepts you. You know what? When we understand that we have been chosen, that we are loved, and we are accepted by God, I'm telling you, our confidence, our self-worth soars. You know why? Because we're secure in who we are in Christ. I'm telling you. On June 1st, 1991, when my wife Michelle stood across from me, she looked me in the eyes and she said, baby, you're a hunk of burning love. And she chose me. I'm telling you, my confidence went through the roof on that wedding day. And I haven't come down since. Over 28 years later, I'm still rocking it with a woman who chose me. That's what I'm talking about. So, hey, we need to remind ourselves that, hey, therefore, if we're going to love like Jesus loves, we got to accept others as Jesus accepts us. So the question is, who can you show acceptance to this week? That person at work, maybe a child in, in your home, maybe your spouse. Who can you accept? Who can you show acceptance to? You say, well, how do you even do that? By listening to people, by looking at people in the eye, by focusing in on people. Why? Because when you do that, it lets them know that, hey, I value you. Which leads me to the second truth. And the Apostle Paul is helping us once again to understand these truths. He said, in the way that we are to... The love, like Jesus loves, is to accept others as, as Christ accepts us, but also to value others like Jesus values us. You want to know how much, listen, you matter to God? You want to know how valuable you are to God? How worthwhile you are to God? Let me just give you these little, these little three reminders. One, God created you. Two, Jesus died for you. And three, Jesus wants you to spend your forever with him in heaven in a place that he has prepared for you. That's how much you matter to God. That's how worthwhile you are. That's how much you value God values you. In Luke 12, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said these words. He said, what is the value of your soul to God? For you are more valuable to God than anything else in the world. Michelle and I, this past uh, July, had the opportunity to go to Europe, and we were in Paris. And while we were in Paris, we went to the world-renowned, the famous museum there called the Louvre. And one of the things that we did is we actually got to go and see the Mona Lisa. What's crazy is literally... The most famous painting in all the world. People literally from all over the entire world come, stand in long lines, waiting for hours to see, just to get a glimpse of a painting, a picture. We have a picture of it right here. Michelle and I, there, there she is. There she is, right there, right there, right there. There she is. That's Mona Lisa. 
That is Mona Lisa. That's, that's her. If you walk over here, her eyes will follow you. If you walk over here, her eyes are still following you. It creeps you out. You know how much she's worth? Back in the 60s, they insured the painting for $100 million. Today, it is estimated to be worth $850 million. I wouldn't give 10 bucks for the thing. I'm thinking, man, I can paint better than Leonardo da Vinci. That's all he's got. Mona Lisa, this woman who, I mean, like, what is up with that? You want to know how you determine the value of something? Well, number one, it depends on who made it. Whoever invented it, you got to go to the person who actually invented something, who made something, to really determine the true worth or value of something. But at the end of the day, in some ways, it doesn't even matter who made it per se in terms of the human level. But here's the thing. Here's the other criteria, and that is it depends on what someone is willing to pay for it. So like I said, I wouldn't give 10 bucks for that thing. But you want to know how much you're worth? Well, you got to stop and think about it. Who it is that made you, your creator, God himself made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made by God and for God. And not only did God make you and create you, but you want to know how much you're worth? Let me tell you how much you're worth. You are worth everything so much so that Jesus spilt his blood on a cross and died for you and for me. And three days later came back to life so we can have forgiveness and have a relationship and spend our forever in a home called heaven. Amen. That's how much we're worth. And so don't ever question your worth and your value. Why? Because God not only loves you and accepts you, but hey, he places a high price tag on your life. He values you greatly. And therefore, if God values us, how much more should we place value on other people? How much more should we treat other people with honor? How much more should we treat other people with dignity? See, one of our core values here. As a church, we have six core values, and one of those core values is this honor is our calling. We take honor very serious. You know why? Because when we honor people, I believe we're honoring God. When we place value on people, let me tell you something. We're showing and we're demonstrating how much we truly value and honor God because we are honoring his most prized possession. So we got to understand, hey... The only way that we can value our mate, the only way we can value our coworkers, the only way we can place value and dignity and we can demonstrate honor to other people is to truly understand and embrace just how much God values us. So who can you put a 10 on the forehead this week? Who, who, who can you look at this week and speak a life into them by placing value and treating them with dignity and showing honor for who they are? The third thing is this. If we're going to truly love like Jesus love, loves, then we've got to understand that we must also forgive others like Jesus forgives us. Aren't you thankful that we serve a God who's a God of second chances? I love that. I'm thankful that 
that God not only forgives, but he also forgets. Did you know that? That God not just forgives, but he actually forgets. In other words, he wipes the clay slain, the clay slain, the clay slain, the slate clean. He pushes delete on our sins when we ask for forgiveness, when we come clean and we admit our sins and our wrongs to God. What does God do? He forgives us and he pushes delete. He forgets. Here's what the scripture says in Isaiah 43 verse 25. I, yes, I alone am the one who blots out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Isn't that awesome? Crazy how God's willing to forgive and God's willing to forget. And yet we're always reminding ourselves and reminding other people of our faults and our failures. Of our mistakes, of our past. I've come to realize The farthest distance between two people is misunderstanding. And yet that misunderstanding can destroy relationships. You know why? Because we're focusing on what somebody else did. We're focusing on what somebody else said. And oftentimes, maybe they didn't even mean what they said. Maybe their motive was was not to, to hurt, but maybe we took it the wrong way and we've never let go of that. We've never reconciled. We've never sought reconciliation we've we've never come to peace between one another well let me tell you something you'll never come to peace with God until you make peace with other people it's so important it's why there's a cross that is in the form of a vertical beam and a horizontal beam Jesus not only forgives you and me but he also expects us to forgive each other I love what the scripture says first Corinthians 13 verse 5 in the love chapter Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And notice, it keeps no record of wrongs. Why is it that we have a hard time of letting go of the past? Forgiving other people. Why is it that we seem to have this mindset of wanting to keep score? Because God doesn't keep score with us. He's not not saying, oh, she did it again. I knew she blew it. That's another one I'm going to chalk up for her. No, God's not in heaven. It's some, some judge, some scorekeeper who's just keeping all scores with all the things you ever do. No, 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 no. When we come clean when we confess and when we admit our sin to God and we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior he forgives us of our past our present and even future sins that we're not even aware of once and for all he paid it all for us Colossians 3:13 Paul said you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you Remember, the Lord forgave you, so therefore you must forgive who? Say it out loud. Others. So here's your action step today. Hey, who do you need to forgive? Because you can't love like Jesus until you understand how much you've been forgiven. And when you understand how much you've been forgiven, that gives you the opportunity to make allowance to be able to forgive other people's faults. And imperfections. You see, we must forgive because at some point we're going to need forgiveness ourselves. 
See, if we're going to love like Jesus, then we got to accept people as God accepts us. We got to, listen, we got to value people as God values us. We got to forgive people as God has forgiven us. And I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. And the fourth thing is this. We've got to believe in others like Jesus believes in us. Aren't you thankful that God believes in you? Aren't you thankful for that? That God is for you. He is with you. He's on your team. Why? Because you're on his team. If you have a relationship with Jesus, I'm here to tell you, man, God believes in you. He's chosen you. He has accepted you. And therefore, we ought to believe in other people. That's the reason why, listen, our, our, our phrase, listen, we want to be known as being life lifters here at Rethink Life. Man, we just want to, we just want to lift people up. Man, we want, to, we want to speak life and speak hope. Why? Because, listen, God gave his son Jesus for people, for you and me. And because God values them, we're going to value them. We're going to believe in people. Why? Because God believes in us. And I want you to know as a pastor and as your friend, I believe in you. I believe in your potential as a person. I believe in the potential of your marriage, the potential in your family. Listen, we have everything it takes to be all that God created us to be. And I believe in you. God believes in you. And therefore, we ought to believe in each other that God can do in us and through us beyond anything we could possibly ever imagine. So today, be encouraged. Be confident in who you are in Christ and whose you are in Christ. You've got to surround yourself by people. That's why we have life groups. Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. You just need people that are going to walk it through with you, who believe in you, who are going to help you when you, when you, when you go through some difficulties. Sometimes when you go through the little dip, you need people that will remind you, hey, don't quit. You're in the dip. Keep on going. Keep on going. That's the reason why we're doing a men's master class next Saturday. Hey, guys, listen to me. We're going to talk. Man, we're just going to talk about life. We're going to talk about leadership. We're going to talk about relationships. We're just going to talk about stuff that we need to be encouraged by. Why? Because God wants us to believe in one another. Why? Because he believes in us as men, as leaders. Listen, God believes in us. Ladies, is the reason why we're doing She Night. It's because, listen, God believes in you. As great women, listen, to be leaders in your home, to be leaders in the workplace, to be leaders in our community. Listen, God believes in you to make a difference in the lives of the people that he's given you influence over. Ladies, you need to believe in one another. You need to encourage one another. You need to support one another. That's why I'm excited about our student ministry we're launching and all the things that we do in our life, kids. Why? Because we believe in families. We believe in the potential that God has for us. The reason why we're doing this series next Sunday, I'm super pumped about it, called March Madness, How to Live a Championship Life. We're actually going to walk through five Saturdays in the month of March. And what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the road of fulfillment. We're going to understand what it means to have a championship life, to make a difference. Why? Because God believes in us. And we believe in you. So I'm excited. You know why? Because no matter where we are, 
in our relationships. We can always push restart. We can reboot. No matter what the situation or circumstances we may find ourselves in. And the underlying thing to it all that makes it all come together, Paul said, was to learn how to love like Jesus loves. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you like what you're hearing, it would mean a great deal to us if you would consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. You can click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories. And be sure to tag us at Rethink Life Church. To learn more about our church, check out RethinkLife.com. Until next time, hey, we love you and believe the best is yet to come in your life.